the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, circle his name, he's going to end up being one of the major traveling companions of, of Paul's later on his missionary journeys. Barnabas, we were first introduced to back in chapter 4, verse 36. It tells us that Barnabas sold a field that he owned and gave the money, laid it at the feet of the apostles. So he's well known among the apostles, Barnabas is, and he's going to vouch for Saul. I mean, he doesn't know the guy very well, but he believes his story. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Barnabas was a faithful follower of Christ who we meet in the book of Acts. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement, and he was willing to give all he personally owned for the advancement of the gospel. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us that Barnabas was the very man who vouched for Paul when others wouldn't believe that the former persecutor had seen Jesus and was now on the right side. Eventually, Barnabas and Paul would become co-workers in ministry. Barnabas accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 9. You have a Gentile by the name of Cornelius who receives a vision from the Lord. And then you have Peter who receives a vision from the Lord. Cornelius receives a vision about Peter. Peter receives a vision about Cornelius. Why? Because God is working at both ends. And as much as I completely believe in all the gifts of the Spirit and all the power of the Spirit, do not fall for someone who says to you that I have something for you that God has not already told you. Because God works at both ends. And God can bring somebody along to confirm certainly what he has shown you. But new revelation from somebody else is not reliable. You also can receive from the Lord directly and then have confirmation by what God is going to do on, another, on the other end. Okay, But be very, very careful that we just don't accept what somebody else presents to us without first testing it and knowing ourselves directly from the Lord. So I just want to point that out because God is very careful when you see in Scripture. He works at both ends here in the book of Acts. And here he is working this way in the life of Saul and in the life of Ananias. Ananias is initially 
skeptical, as any of us would be. Um, Ananias knows Saul's reputation. He says there in verse 13, I, I've, he kind of, you know, he kind of, He's not arguing with God, but he's just like, you know, help me understand this because I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, without exaggeration, and, I, and this is probably a delicate, you know, analogy, but I want you to understand how radical this is, okay? Obviously not to the degree of what ISIS has done in killing Christians around the world, because the church is relatively young and, you know, not thousands have been killed just yet. But I want you to try to imagine if one of the leaders of ISIS had a dramatic conversion experience to Christ. And then all of a sudden, this is the person God says to you. Now, I want you to go lay hands on this person. They might receive their sight and receive the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this, Lord. Yeah, this is the guy. He's had this dramatic, and you're going to see, not only with Ananias, you're going to see when the disciples first engage with him, they're a little skeptical, like we're, we're not, because Paul has this reputation of being the one to go around throwing people in prison and having them murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So Ananias at first is a little resistant here, but I want you to notice somewhere between his question and when he actually gets to where Saul is, he accepts him as a brother because that's the way he greets him. Look in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. He calls him a brother. Right from the very beginning, because he accepts what God has said to him as true. That, and listen to me. Even the most radical, offensive person to Christ can get saved. By the power of Jesus Christ working in the hearts of people today... And as much as we might be reluctant or resistant to embrace somebody because we know their past or we know their reputation or we know what they've done, listen, we need to have an open heart and an open mind and open arms to embrace everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, who gets saved, irrespective of what they have done, and call them brother and call them sister. Because God is still in the business of radically saving people. And just like he did for Saul, he can do for many people, and he's done for many of us. And so here Ananias embraces him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may, be, you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, at some point in here, it's, it's obvious that Saul becomes a believer. He has three days where he's blind, and it says, and he doesn't eat, and he doesn't drink anything. So he's on this timeout where God has given him this three days of timeout, fasting, praying. And during those three days, the obvious implication here is that he's connected all the dots, that this Jesus who appeared to me really is Messiah. He puts his faith and trust in him, and then Ananias greets him as a brother, and then he prays for him that he might see again and receive the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this multiple times through the book of Acts. Okay, when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily the fullness of the Spirit. That's a separate and distinct work from the indwelling of the Spirit. And so as Ananias lays his hands on Saul, he's going to receive the fullness of the Spirit. And then it says that something like scales. I want you to imagine if you go fishing, like fish scales, it just kind of fall off his eyes and his eyes are open. But more importantly, his heart, he has seen with his heart and he accepts and believes 
believes and receives and is water baptized. Verse nine, uh, verse 18 says he got up and was baptized. So he believed and was baptized. This is his conversion. Dramatic conversion here. And he's going to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. From persecuting Christians and trying to kill Christians to being as a Christian, as a Christ follower, to save as many people as possible to come to the knowledge of the same faith in Jesus as he has. So, radical conversion here. Now, you know, please understand, it's not like he went from being Jewish to a Christian and kind of like, you know, renounced Judaism or something. That's not, that's not what happens. When, when, and in fact, today, when you talk to a Jew who is a believer in Jesus, they will sometimes refer to themselves as a Messianic Jew. Sometimes they will say a completed Jew. Sometimes they will say a Jew who's a believer in Jesus as Messiah. Uh, but they don't like lose their, their Jewishness, okay? Saul was and remained a Jew, but a Jew who now believes in Jesus as Messiah. And this is his dramatic conversion here. So let's read on. Verse, um, rest of verse 19, the next section says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Okay, so that tells us that there were some followers of Christ living there in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is incredible. The same guy who came to kill Christians is now proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on the name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, really meaning in the power of the Spirit, and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's going to take all his great Jewish intellect and all the studies of Jewish scriptures, and now that the light has literally gone off, he is going to be able to apply those scriptures in ways that before he has never seen or understood. And using his own Jewish scriptures, he's going to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Now, verse 23, I need to make a little disclaimer here. It says, after many days had gone by, and I want you in the margin of your Bible to write three years. Okay, I know it says after many days, and it really means a lot of many days. And the only reason we know this, um, let me just finish the sentence. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. The only reason we know this is because of what Paul writes in Galatians 1. And I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. Just listen to what it says. Paul says this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Listen, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. So when you put his testimony together with the story here, what it tells us is he gets radically saved here in Damascus. Then he's going to go away. After he preaches a little bit, but then almost immediately he goes away to Arabia. 
where he stays for three years. Then he comes back to Damascus. So that's the three years here. After many days had gone by, three years, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. You can also write in the margin of your Bible right there, 2 Corinthians 11, 32 to 33. And I'll read it to you. 2 Corinthians 11, 32 to 33. He just in his own words, again, mentions this. He says, In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. See, because Paul had this dramatic conversion, he became a a, a very um, controversial figure. Uh, the, The Christians loved him, but were skeptical of him, didn't know if they could trust him, I mean, this is the guy that used to kill us. Or is he really one of us or is he just a mole? So they're having that issue. The Jews, on the other hand, who don't follow Jesus, don't believe in Jesus, they, they, they see Paul, Saul, as a traitor, so they don't like him. And, and so, you know, he's viewed skeptically by one group and, and, he's, and he's viewed with hatred by another group, so much so that the Jews who don't believe in Jesus, they want to kill him now. They see him as a traitor. And so they actually try to kill him in Damascus, but he's lowered over the wall in a basket. It had to be a pretty big basket, like a laundry basket. This isn't a bread basket. This is a big basket. And they lower him secretively at night so he can get away. He flees for his life. And he's going to leave, and he's going to end up going to Jerusalem. Look at verse 26. But when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, circle his name, he's going to end up being one of the major traveling companions of of Paul's later on his missionary journeys. Barnabas, we were first introduced to back in chapter 4, verse 36. It tells us that Barnabas sold a field that he owned and gave the money, laid it at the feet of the apostles. So he's well known among the apostles, Barnabas is, and he's going to vouch for Saul. I mean, he doesn't know the guy very well, but he believes his story. He's going to vouch for him. It says in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles... He, that is Barnabas, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they, second attempt, tried to kill him. The first group tried to kill him in Damascus, flees to Jerusalem. Now we, got a, now we got another group that wants to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, fellow, fellow Christians, fellow brothers, when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now Caesarea is a port city on the Mediterranean. It's one of the places we go on our trip to Israel. It's a beautiful city. It used to be, uh, at the time, the, the headquarters, the, the capital of this region of the Roman Empire. So Herod had his home there, King Herod, and uh, it was a place where it was the main seaport city right there in the Mediterranean, beautiful place. And they, they put him on a boat. They said, you got to get out of here. And they sent him to Tarsus. Now, where's he from? 
He's from Tarsus. So he's going to go up to Turkey. He's going to go back home. He's going to stay there for a while. And you can write in the margin of your Bible, he stayed there for around 10 years. From about the year 36 AD to 47 AD, Paul lives in relative obscurity back in his old hometown. Now, I want you to imagine this because sometimes we are so eager to, you know, either, either try to fulfill the Lord's will or get along with, you know, get on with God's plan for our lives that we can get, get impatient. And we live in this world right now where, you know, everything is so instantaneous and, we, and we're used to our world like that. And so, therefore, we think God should be like that. I want you to notice from Saul's life, he spends three years in Arabia, comes back for a short time. They try to kill him again. So he's going to go off to Tarsus for another 10 years. It's going to be 13 years before really he launches in his ministry for the Lord. God's timing is always perfect, but sometimes it is a lot slower than ours. And we have to be patient people. God is not slow in keeping his promises. But sometimes our timetable is not always what God's is. And it's my experience, and I think many of you would vouch for this, that we don't so much lag behind, but we get ahead of what God wants to do. And I mentioned this also in our study through Acts, just you know, in passing, that was the case for Moses too. When Moses was going to be the great deliverer for his own people out of slavery in Egypt, but he had overestimated it by 40 years. And he had to wait. And he had to go off into the desert of Midian until he was prepared to really be a shepherd to lead God's people out. It took him 40 years before God said, now is the right time and appeared to him in a burning bush. And for, for Saul here, for Paul, it's going to take about 13 years while he gets prepared to do what God tells him to do. So if you're eager to do what God wants you to do or you're eager for the fulfillment of God's will in your life or you're eager for that significant other that God might bring along or you're eager for that next job that you want God to provide for you, just please take note, it may not come as quickly as what you and I might want. But God is still faithful and his timing is always perfect. His timing is always perfect. Let me ask you a question. This one is a good show of hands. How many of you can look back in your life and perhaps at the time you were frustrated that things weren't coming along more quickly, but then now looking back, you're glad and you can see that God's timing was perfect. His delay was an opportunity for his display. How many of you can say, yeah, I can see that in my life? Amen. So we have to be careful sometimes not to, not to be hasty and to rush. So they sent him off to Caesarea. Uh, uh, through Caesarea off to Tarsus. Verse 31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So as a growing church numerically, that's wonderful. But please don't miss the last part because a church, it's simply, you know, numbers can be a, a good indicator of the health of a church, but not always. The more important the more important element of the health of a church is that it has a genuine fear of the Lord. Because they didn't just grow in numbers, but they grew living in the fear of the Lord. Then it switches here to Peter. We'll, Paul will come back after his hiatus in Tarsus, but now we go back to Peter. Verse 32, let's finish out the chapter. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. 
Lida is today in Israel, a town called Lod, L-O-D. It's, it's uh, just a couple of miles southeast of Tel Aviv. And there he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. That's kind of a funny thing to say, isn't it? You know, the Lord wants to heal you. Now get up. That stinking mat you've been laying on really needs some attention. Get up. Take care of your mat. But this is a miracle here. Look, immediately Aeneas got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So Peter is obviously here by the Holy Spirit. He has the gift of healing. And so he, he um, says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He had been a paralytic for eight years. He gets up. It became a testimony. Okay, I don't think God does stuff through us for our benefit, but he does stuff through us for his glory. And it wasn't just to benefit Aeneas, and it wasn't just so that Peter could walk around going, hey, I have the gift of healing. It was so that all those, verse 35, who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, saw the miracle, and turned to the Lord. Well, Peter moves on to Joppa. Remember Joppa? Joppa was the place where uh, Jonah got on a boat to flee from the Lord. So Joppa is a seaport city, also um, right there next to Tel Aviv, ancient Joppa. There was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. So this is a lady whose name in Hebrew is Tavita, but the Greek uh, equivalent is Dorcas. Now, if you have the option, ladies... Go by Tabitha, all right? You want that nickname, don't you? Hey, Tab. You don't want Dork as a nickname, but anyway. So here she is, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And Peter sent them all out of the room. Just remember, just like Jesus did back in Mark chapter 5, when he he raised the, the girl from the dead. He sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Very similar result as the healing of Aeneas. When Tabitha gets raised from the dead, many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So Peter, obviously very, very gifted and very empowered by the Lord uh, for the healing of Aeneas, for the raising of uh, Tabitha from the dead, and uh, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called Acts, so we can see the acts of the Holy Spirit through uh, many in the book of Acts that bears its name. So we'll pause there and we'll pray for tonight. We'll pick it up with chapter 10. Very important chapter, chapter 10 as well, because uh, the first Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ. So for most of us who are Gentiles, this is an important chapter because this was the beginning 
of Gentile conversions in the early church. The book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the newly formed church. Though Jesus has left the earth for an unknown time, he didn't leave his followers alone. He gave them the same gift offered to us even now, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice of love as our only hope for salvation, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit to help us as we grow in faith. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit. We'd love to talk more with you about this. So please feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500. If you already know Jesus, we'd still love to hear from you and be able to encourage and pray for you. Our number again is 703-771-1500. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10 and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better. Meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Join us next time to learn more about the early church in the book of Acts, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know you're not alone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.